100 years ago, the provisional government of the Irish Free State was getting to work setting up new institutions that would serve the Irish people. For example, the country was going to need a police service. On the 9th of February 1922, a meeting took place at the Gresham Hotel to set up the Civic Guard, later on Garda Síochána. Just a few months later, elements in the nascent police force mutinied at its Kildare Training Centre. To get into the reasons why this happened and how the 1922 mutiny shaped the Garda Síochána into what it is today, I'm joined by historian Dr Liam McNiff. His 1997 book, A History of the Garda Síochána, is an in-depth study tracing the history and development of the Guards. Liam, you're very welcome back to The History Show. Thank you very much. Tell us about that first meeting at the Gresham Hotel and how policing in this country started to be organised. I think it was a, you know, it was like the first meeting of the GAA in Thurles. Yeah. It was a very small meeting. It was, and it's incredible. That you had Michael Collins there, although he took no part in it, and you had the other ministers like uh, Home Affairs, Richard Mulcahy, Eamon Duggan. But in fact, it was policemen who took the most part in it. Because think of it, if you want to set up a force from scratch, it's policemen. So it was DMP, the Dublin Metropolitan Police, and RIC, mainly. And Staines was the TD from Mayo, had been in the IRA, and he was the only politician. But they met there, and within three weeks, they had drawn up a blueprint for a new police force, which was phenomenal in the circumstances. And this is all against the background of the Drift Civil War. And the naming of the of the force, yeah. was there any controversy or dispute about that? Well, it was supposed to be, according to the uh, organising committee, they talked about the People's Guard. But in fact, in government correspondence and everything, it was referred to as the Civic Guard. And then a few years later, um, is a Carlos Shannon. Do you remember he was in RTE? His father yeah, was Labour, a Labour, Labour TD, Labour Chief, and he yeah. actually gave the name the Guardians of the Peace, Garda Síochána. That came about two years later. So tell us about how they went about setting up this new police force. They needed obviously an organisational structure. They needed recruits, and uh, crucially, they needed experienced people who could train them. In lots of cases, when the Irish Free State came about, it was basically just okay. What was the previous template? Yep. Let's yep. adopt that. That's that's, that's kind of it because it made. Sense. I mean, when they were setting up police force, they had to set it from scratch, the RIC weren't. So what they did was they had four categories. One was IRA, because the IRA had been in the War of Independence. They were tried and trusted and they were being rewarded and the Republican police mm. IRA as well. The next group were dismissed RIC or DMP. So if you think of it, dismissed or who conscientiously left would be people who didn't like their job because of it wasn't looked on good or well by during Irish. During the War of Independence. During the War of Independence. So their bona fide was good. Yeah. The next group would have been the civilian population and the last group was disbanded RIC and DMP members. Now this is important because if you left the RIC and the DMP when the RIC were being disbanded or the DMP, you just left them, you would have stayed with them while the War of Independence was going on. Now, what a lot of people didn't realise is that Collins had a number of people, of course, working. Hmm. Now, in fact, of the 84 who were in the new recruits... Yeah, there were Yeah, there were 84 RIC people in the first 1,300 of the guards. And they actually, half of those, had been in, had been in the IRA and had left the RIC and so on. The other half, some of them had remained in the RIC, but like Ned Broy and others might have given information, Mm. and Collins knew their bona fide. Now, others were kind of Johnny-come-lately who were in the RIC, being disbanded, and then went. 
that does become very important yeah, later so on. Yeah, so you don't know whether somebody no, you're you being presented no. as a former RSC, whether no. he was in actual fact collaborating with yes, Collins yeah. or whether he was... And uh, Collins RIC wanted them in and he kind of encouraged them, but other people didn't know that. So what was then the recruitment process for new yeah. rank and file, yeah. the, 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 ordinary, the ordinary civic yeah. guards? It was... In other words, it was through the whole IRA structure. Your local IRA commander recommended to some of his men that they should go, and it was on a county basis. So you went to a recruiting centre in a county, and there you had a medical person, uh, somebody, probably a policeman, who had some idea, and also you had a little educational exam. And in fact, uh, I interviewed some of the people in the early 90s who had done that, and they ended up, you know, Turning up in Ennis, this Tom Boland interview, turned up in Ennis, did a simple exam, got measured, was the next day, a week later, sorry, he got word, turn up in the RDS, and he was given the fare. Now, when you went up to Dublin, they double-checked. But it was from the local IRA. Mm. And that's, the, and, and like one fellow from Port Leash ended up bringing 130 up with him. And the RDS, the grounds of the RDS was the first training site, wasn't it? Yeah, in other words, because uh, they had to vacate it too for the horse show. <laughs> yeah, it's hilarious. And when they actually went there, they were so cramped they they had they went and in fact what they did was you were brought and you got a canteen you went to a canteen and you had to buy your own enamel plate knife fork spoon and mug can you imagine that <laughs> you know and then they went off and they were taken to the mess room and then they got a big gal- tea from a galvanized bucket and then they went to the stalls which would have been for the horses and they filled an empty thing with straw and in their innocence of course they thought the more straw i have the better but the more you had in it it became curved and you fell off in the night. So this is what they had to sleep there? Yeah. And what's more, as more and more came, it was so tight you had to make, uh, you had to dress and undress standing on your bed. And then the one joke I got in my entire book was the fact that on parade one morning one fellow was reprimanded for not having shaved properly and he claimed as nine of them were using the one mirror he obviously shaved the wrong man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I'm glad we were able to let you get your one joke. My, my own from joke, the book yes. In. Congratulations. Um, at the end of April, then the recruits moved from the RDS. They moved down mm. to to Kildare. Kildare. Was, that, was that to the Curra? It was. They took up an RIC barracks in Kildare Town and a military barracks there, and it was actually improved improvement of what they had. And people continue to join. And that's where the hassle started, if you like. The okay, mutiny. so this is the 25th of April, 1922. And Michael Staines, who you mentioned, yep. has been appointed by the provisional government as commissioner, commissioner yes. of the force. Yep. Um, you know, even though he was not RIC, as no. you say, he was a, no. a political... His father was an RIC man, actually. All right, of course. Yeah, all right, indeed. So that, that certainly would have, that would have helped, obviously. So they moved down to Kildare. Why does trouble, as you say, begin in, in when they're in Kildare? Yeah. We have to remember this is all against the background of the slide to civil war from January till June. And remember, too, that they wanted, obviously, the guard, the new civic guard was being set up using mainly IRA men who had fought and put their lives on the, on the line for Ireland. Now, they're all there and they're used to the commander, their local commander. And in fact, it was the local commander who recommended they join. And when they went up, the local commander often was with them. But when promotion came, you know, for superintendent or anything like that. Who got the promotion? RIC. Now, on a, on a pragmatic way, you stand back and say, well, of course, how else could you have somebody trying to organise a division or a district without having the experience? But to these guys, the RIC were their enemy. They were the enemy, yeah. Now, they didn't mind RIC as ordinary rank and file, but they didn't want them promoted. And the big problem was that Collins had a number of them there who had been double agents for him, but they didn't know that. Hmm. And they resented this promotion of the RIC to commission positions. 
Now, um, what in, how involved was Staines in, in all of this? I mean, when this dissatisfaction begins yeah. to emerge, what, if anything, does he do to try and quell this? Now, being fair, he seems, I suppose, if you want to be against him slightly or, or criticise him, he seemed to be a little bit out of touch. Like, it was an incredible situation, just what they were trying to do. But he seemed to be a little bit out of touch. And he was going ahead with what was working and so on. Whereas his next in, in line would... Patrick Brennan. Yes. He was far more in touch. And he doesn't seem to have briefed stains on it. And this was growing. There had actually been talk of this in the RDS that people were annoyed. But they said, oh, it'll change. We'll, we'll promote. But as time went on, and then in May, it was announced, Staines announced that there were five RIC men appointed to senior positions in the new Civic Guard. And that was the, the, what lit the fuse. So essentially what happens in Kildare mm. is, is, is a mutiny. Mm, it is. What form does that mutiny take? Well, very dramatic. I mean, you could make a great film out of it in the sense that they, when these five were promoted, uh, the men had formed a committee who were against this. And there were 1,300. And remember, they were armed because they had got everything from the RIC. Which was an armed force, it's yes. important to remember. Yeah, they had revolvers and all their rifles and everything had arrived down from uh, Phoenix Park to Kildare. And you had 1,300 men armed there. They formed their own committee and they signed a document saying they didn't want any more RIC. Staines called, I suppose, a face down, a parade on the main area there and he asked those loyal to him to stand out and only about a dozen stood out. The other 1,200 stayed where they were. So he left, went to government, offered a resignation, they didn't take it. Now, then what happened was the next day, what the men wanted, and this is very clear, they were not against the free state government. They were not against the treaty. They were against RIC men being promoted. That was their gripe, and they were very strong to say that. But the next day, the free state government sent down, provisional government at this stage, sent down armoured uh, truck, Lancian armored things. Cars, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and wanted the, they pulled up outside the gates. Now, lucky, I think it was Superintendent Liddy, I think it was, uh, common sense went out and said to them, look, we're not in mutiny against the government. We just want these men removed. So Sean, Sean Liddy. Yeah, and there could have been, he was a TD as well, and which would be cool, you had TDs, you know, yeah. in. Because again, they'd been in the War of Independence and they were TDs and uh, former IRA men. But he convinced the army. Luckily, there could have been a bloodbath. They were literally facing each other. And from then on, it was six weeks of stalemate. So basically the army, Liddy convinced the army, this is not to see yeah, here, go home. Yeah. And, and remember, went, yeah. we're talking about, uh, you know, May and, and the civil war started, what, the 21st of June or something, and the four courts had been occupied. I mean, it's an incredibly tense. Yeah. During all of this, yes, the four courts. this is, is the background. Yeah. And, and we can't look at it without seeing it that way. Now, interesting you mentioned the four courts, uh, because there's also a tie-up between, uh, between Rory O'Connor mm. and the four courts garrison and weapons. Yeah. and all of this controversy. Explain that to me. What happened there? Well, for a start, the mutiny in Kildare, they were going without pay and so on, and there's rival headquarters set up in Dublin. But on the night of the 17th of June, Thomas Daly, who was president of this men's committee, he and a few others left on the pretext that they were going to Dublin to collect a few civic guards who were on duty guarding banks and things like that. In fact, he wasn't. He rendezvoused with the anti-treaty leaders, Rory O'Connor, Ernie O'Malley and Tom Barry. So he was anti-treaty. He was and in fact, he was only used as a pretext to disrupt the formation of the guards. He, he rendezvoused with them. He came back to Kildare and they took all the guns, their whole army. They cleared it out and they brought it back to the forecourts. By God, did that bang heads together. Because the next day, uh, Griffith came down and Eamon Duggan and they gave the following proposals. They said that the men would be paid all money due to them. An inquiry would be held immediately and the men were suspended but not dispersed. 
So suspended with pay. With pay. And in fact, they and still... And their grievances were being... Would be locked up. researched. Yeah. And in fact, that was pure, I would imagine, because the Civil War... And the Civil War started four days later. Mm. Like, and the ones had all the guns. Now, in fact, they then set up an inquiry. And I mean, you didn't have any of this resort to the High Court or anything. I mean, people would really envy it today. In three weeks, <laughs> two civil servants did an incredible job. You know, you didn't have anyone kind of stopping proceedings of going to the High Court. And they brought up inquired into what happened, the three things, what happened, anyone to be disciplined and any recommendations for the future. And that, like, was absolutely crucial. And they found out that, in fact, the vast majority of the 1300 Civic Guard were good people who wanted simply the RIC wouldn't be promoted. And did the civil servants recognise that grievance? They did. did. Oh, that major. And they were very fair. They interviewed both sides. And also that a little cabal of anti-treaty IRA who were in the force to disrupt it and use the grievance of the vast majority to cause trouble, either to stop the formation of the force or to get the arms. And in fact, the proof was of the committee of 14, five of them left with the anti-treaty group and with the arms and never came back. Now, it's a very interesting story in and of itself. Obviously, mutinies are, are they tend to be mm. quite interesting uh, for obvious reasons. Plenty of conflict, and as you say, would make a great movie. But... There's more significance. This is a more significant story because to some extent, this was instrumental in creating the Garda force that we know today. Yeah, Yeah, what's incredible are two things, I think. One, very few people know that there was a mutiny in the Guards. You all hear of the army one, which was crucial. And secondly, that they were armed when they were set up. They all had the Webley revolvers, I think that you say it, and they had rifled some of them. But in fact... Precisely because there was a mutiny, this inquiry in three weeks, if you like, the first setting up, sorry, back in the Gresham Hotel, did the nuts and bolts to actually get it running. This inquiry but six there was months later... was an assumption in the Gresham that this force would be armed. Yeah, yeah. Because the RIC was yeah, armed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and they didn't think of it. They just did it. And the arms came from the depot down to them, so it was followed through in Kildare. But this other, uh, under McAuliffe and, and uh, Shields, worked out a kind of an ethos or a philosophy for the force and the move towards more civilian. And precisely because they had mutinied, they then said there'll be no guns. And it took a month or two, but the guns were taken off them and all handed in. And they also said they started this process of it's going to be more civilian. Now, that was a very brave uh, decision. The RIC had very much been a paramilitary yeah, force. Yeah, although they had. And of course, now the other thing is, I mean, proof of that was instead of having, the when the guards set up, they had about... 25% less stations and 25% less personnel in the 26 counties because they weren't looking for political mm. enemies, kind of. But but the unarmed is unbelievable. In the, mid- in the middle of a civil war. So basically, had the mutiny not taken place, we might have had an armed police force. We could have, yeah. yeah. I mean, because the norm was England, every, you go abroad, you go to America, everywhere, they're all armed, mm. so it is unusual. And the other thing was sending them out in the civil war. I mean, at times they went out to the civil war and anti-treaty groups came along and they used to burn their over, take their overcoats take their bikes, burn the furniture and try to wreck the barracks and the boys just had to stand there. Yeah. But they were accepted then as unarmed. Okay, well explain to me then a little bit because all of this is happening as the civil war is really Mm. getting underway. What, if any, role did civic guards have during the civil war or do they not... Were they not dispersed throughout the country until after the, the, the civil war was over? They were dispersed from about August, September on. And usually what happened was, we say, there was a group sent to swords. They might send 25. And then in four or five days or a week. Now, first of all, they'd have checked from the army that that was a safe place. 
that the war had finished there. And they would then, from that 25 or 30, send out to maybe other places, uh, another five from that 25. Mm. But I mean, some of the irony is, some guards whom I, one or two I interviewed and others who records I found, uh, talked about arriving in barracks with the hole in the roof where the IRA had burned them. Do you remember in, in was it Easter 1920? Yeah. They'd burned the RIC barracks. And what happens? These IRA guys arrive back to barracks, you know, one guy in Dundalk, and the, the roof is, you know, and he has to put up with that for 12 months because his friends did it. But this is a force that is representative of the Irish Free State yeah. and Republicans are fighting against the yeah. Irish Free State. Does that mean in the, you know, the, the classical cliche, they became legitimate targets? No, two things happened. I think precisely because they weren't armed, it helped them. Now, originally, they actually, even in no, October, they were attacking uh, IRA at times, but straight away, when O'Duffy came, he took all the arms off them. So they weren't regarded as legitimate targets in the sense that now there were one or two of them killed, one by accident, another with, uh, he was a mistaken identity because his brother had been in the RIC. But they weren't legitimate targets. And precisely because they weren't armed, they, it gave them a security. And the people were, like I came across thousands of begging letters to the government begging to send out the guards, especially licensing laws. Mothers, of course, and sisters talking about the husband and the brother and the son mm. drinking far too much. This mm. kind of idea. And you couldn't collect rates and a whole lot of things. So people were dying for them to come out. OK, you mentioned an interesting uh, uh, name there. And I know that he's not centrally associated with the mutiny, but Owen O'Duffy. So Staines yeah. is the commissioner. Staines doesn't last very long. No, he, he's, he officially, in fact, after the mutiny, he only appeared a few times in Kildare. He's not really. And there was another fellow uh, offered the job and O'Duffy then, came along and he took it. I think there were there were civil servants who briefly were involved were there not in, in the administration but O'Duffy then really he did, effectively yeah. becomes yeah. the second he commissioner did. He did. of the of Angarvish. Uh, it was a Sean O'Murahul I think was offered it but didn't take it and then O'Duffy comes and like whether you liked him or not he was full of energy and power you know he was ahead he ended up going away off the rails and in fact Cumming Yale wanted to get rid of him in 25 but by God, did he do everything? Like so he they called wanted to get rid of him eight years before. Yes, Cumming Gale. Yes, Cumming Gale had enough of him, and yes, at the same time, his energy. The men liked him. He was very strict, but he gave this great spree de corps. He was always talking about this, you know, and it gave them a great sense of their purpose and of everything. And you know, this group who came in at no training, and in in a number of years, they were doing their jobs. Now he did, he arrived in some place in Mead and uh, they were in a library and he found underwear and everything all over the books so he, he gave off hell to them. You know, this kind of idea. But... He was a disciplinarian. He was, but it worked at the time. Now he obviously was, you know, went off the rails kind of and Cumming and Gale wanted to get rid of him in 25, 26. Oh, you want them rearmed, by the way. In 25, 26, he suggested because putching ones were attacking the guards of places and there was a superintendent, I think, killed down in Tipperary, anti, anti, an IRA group or that and he wanted them rearmed but the government sensibly said, look, the civil war is over. But they stuck with him. Okay, so this is 100 years of Ungartha Siakona. The meeting that set up the force took place in February of 1922. So the Ungartha Siakona have been around for a century now. And Dr. Liam McNiff, the author of the book, A History of the Gartha Siakona. Liam, thank you very much indeed for talking to us about this famous mutiny. Or not so famous mutiny, but now a little bit more famous. <laughs> <laughs>